and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. Glad you're here. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to cover verses 1 through 16 as, uh, as we get ready for this. My question for you is, uh, first of all, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you placed faith in His death on the cross for your sins? When Jesus died on the cross, He died in your place and for your sin so that you could be forgiven and cleansed. You believe that, that you needed a Savior, that Jesus Christ is that Savior. He's also the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, who would come as the suffering servant. And to prove that He was the suffering servant and take away our sin, He rose from the dead three days later. And then He appeared to hundreds of eyewitnesses over the course of the next 40 days and then ascended to heaven, commissioning His church to share the good news of what He had done on our behalf. And we are beneficiaries of that faith that has been passed down from one generation to the next through the Scripture and the church that has shared that gospel with the world. So, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? That's the first question. The second one is, if you are, what keeps you going in your faith? What, what keeps you pursuing Him, right? There's, there's a lot of distractions within our world. Uh, the, the world that these people were living in, they were beginning to experience persecution. Um, they were beginning to lose their, their, their livelihood, their ability to work. Their possessions were being confiscated from them. Um, they were going to um, be put in front of judges and in, be in court situations where they would be accused of being essentially rebels against Caesar. Um, and then the persecution goes from soft to far more hard, and they begin to actually lose their lives. They would end up in the Colosseum um, and be eaten by wild beasts. They would be put on poles and, and burned alive. They would be beheaded. They would be crucified. These things would happen to these Christians. Uh, and this is the beginning of that persecution that took place. And so the writer of Hebrews is talking to this Jewish audience and he's reminding them not to go back to Judaism because though it was socially acceptable for them to do that, it would be at the cost of their eternal reward. Not that they would lose their salvation, but the reward that they would have for a faithful life in Christ would be forfeited upon his return. And so that's kind of the message that the book of Hebrews has over and over and over again. And so there's the conversation at the beginning of it, how Jesus is better than angels, and then he's better than the high priesthood, and he's better than Moses, and he's a priest in the line of Melchizedek, and he's the bringer of the new covenant, and the relationship that we have with God through Jesus is better than the old covenant. And he's just pouring on over and over again why it's better to maintain faith in Jesus Christ and pursue a life that follows him than it is to do what's socially acceptable. So most of us here are probably not drawn to go back to Judaism because we probably never practiced it in the first place. But we all come out of a religious lifestyle that we had prior to following Jesus Christ. Even if it was irreligious, it was a religious lifestyle. And so everybody has this. Everybody knows what it is to be culturally acceptable within our environment and do what matches their coworkers, do what matches their, their, their peers at school, to do what matches what your family members are doing. And that's the more comfortable thing to do is to live a life that doesn't stand out for Christ, but instead sacrifices our 
life in him for a life of ease within our culture. And so many people fall prey to this. And so what keeps you going? What keeps you from doing that? And now he's going to tell us in this passage that the most acceptable thing that we can do for God is to continue to practice our faith, to continue to believe that he is good and that he is best, that he is better than fitting in. He is is worth the persecution, soft as it is in the United States. He is worth the persecution that you might face for following him in a bold way within within our culture. He's better. And so this is what he says to open Hebrews chapter 11. He says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by this our ancestors were approved. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. So what's he saying here? I think it's important he look at this and he's, he's not providing, he's not like trying to get a hold of Webster and give him a definition for what faith is. What he's doing is he's saying, you Christian, now faith. If you want to practice faith now, this is how you do it. Right now, your faith is something where you're sure of who God is. You, you know his character and you want to be approved by him more than you want to be approved by people. You want to receive the blessing of knowing God more than you want the blessing of fitting in with your society or with your family or in your workplace or in your school or on your sports team. He more important than that. And then he also says that we know that the world around us, that life comes from life. There's nothing in this world that comes from non-life. Life always comes from life. And the life that has always existed is the eternal God. And so he created everything that we know and see and touch. So what's he saying? He's saying faith is sure and certain of God's character. That's the first thing. Faith is sure and certain of God's character. He is the reality of I'm certain of it. I'm sure that that's what truly uh, reality is about. And I have, uh, I'm certain that he's going to come through for me. I'm sure that he is the creator of life. I'm sure he is the one who made me and loves me. I'm sure he is the one who knew me in my sin. And seeing my sin created a pathway back to him through his son Jesus dying on my behalf. I'm, I'm, I'm certain that the only way to be right with God is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That there's no other way to pay for sin than for his blood to cleanse me and cover me and make me new through his resurrection. I'm sure and I'm certain that God is good and that his plan is best. And because of that, I want to follow him. And I want to follow him because faith is what he approves. This is good news. It's your belief in him that makes you right with him. It's your belief in him that he rewards, that he approves. Not how well you perform. Not that you're more moral than somebody else. Not that you voted for the right political candidate. Not that you you. you you loved your wife better than somebody. Like None of those things, the morality that we would have, none of those things approve us with God. It's that I trust him. I, I, I believe that he has what's best for me. And no matter what I'm going through, whether it's a season of life as a student or whether, I'm, uh, whether I'm, I'm newly married or whether I'm in a new job or whether I've lost my job and the paycheck isn't coming in or, or whether I'm at odds with somebody in my life, whatever's going on in my life, I'm going to pursue the answer to that thing and in, in a way that is believing God because that's what he approves. And then the other thing here is that faith is the way of viewing all experience. It's the way of viewing everything that we go through. 
the decline of Christianity within our culture. We view it through what God might be doing. We, we see the decline of, of, of religion and, and Christianity within our culture, and we understand that that's happening because people are moving away from God, but I'm not going to move away from him. Um, the further that my culture gets away from God, the more that I will stand out, and that's fine. That's good because the pretenders are being weeded out because the harder it gets to follow God, the less likely it is that somebody would pretend to do so. So God's actually doing something good in this. I'm viewing everything through his lens. And then what he does next is he gives us that sort of, that's what it is to practice faith right now. I'm sure and I'm certain of God's character. Um, I want to continue a walk of faith with him because that's what he approves. And I want his approval above your approval. I really do. I care more about what he says than what you say. I care more about what he says than what our culture says. I want his approval, not yours. I want his approval, not the culture's. And then I'm going to view everything through the lens of that faith. And then he's going to share some stories from the book of Genesis. If you're not familiar with the book of Genesis, I encourage you, definitely read it. Most of these stories come from chapters 4 through 22. So if you're not familiar with them, just jog along with us here, and I'll do my best to sort of explain the story. So he says in verse, 11, verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. So Cain and Abel, the descendants, immediate descendants of Adam and Eve. There's two sons there. One of them works the field. The other is a shepherd. And Abel offers a blood sacrifice to God. Cain offers a grain sacrifice to God. Cain's sacrifice is not one that pleases God. Abel's is one that pleases God. And the reason is because God had already demonstrated that a blood sacrifice was necessary to cover sin. It was written into the memory of humanity that a blood sacrifice would be necessary to cover the cost of of sin. Right from the Garden of Eden, Adam, Adam and Eve, God kills an animal and he, and he covers them with the garnet, garments. And implanted into the very beginning of human consciousness is that blood sacrifice is necessary to cover sin. What's Cain do? He comes along and he says, what if I approached God on my terms instead of his? What if, what if instead of believing God that a blood sacrifice was necessary to cover sin, I came to God on my own merit and offered a different gift? And so what we see here is that faith obeys God. Faith is obedient to God. He's best. He's right. I, I know that he cares for me. I know that he's looking out for me. I understand that I have sinned against him. And his message to humanity from the very beginning is the way to be right with God is through the, a blood sacrifice that covers and eventually cleanses all sin. We, we read in the book of Hebrews that there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. That in, in order for our sin to be taken care of, someone had to die in our place. That's what the lamb sacrifices within the Old Testament, those sacrifices, the lambs and bulls, that's what they were about. They were about pointing forward to the sacrifice of God's son, Jesus Christ, dying in our place and for our sins so that our sin could be taken away. But what we try to do is the same thing as Cain. We approach God and we say, instead of based upon the merit and action of Jesus Christ on my behalf and his death to cleanse me and save me, what if I got right with God through something else? 
And that is the story of every other religion on the face of the planet, is it tells you that you need to do something in order to be right with God. You measure up, you work hard, you earn your way to God. And what God has been saying all along is no, it's a matter of grace, of God forgiving us of our sin so that we could be cleansed, not based upon what I can do or perform, but based upon his love and mercy towards me. And so any form of legalism, and it doesn't matter. You take, a look at, you take a look at what Muhammad had to say or what Joseph Smith had to say or you take a look at what Buddha had to say or any of these other religions. The answer is always what you can do to make yourself right with God. The message of Christianity and frankly of Judaism is that we cannot make ourselves right with God but we, we receive righteousness from him through a substitutionary sacrifice. So faith obeys God. It comes to God on his terms. And so many of you may be falling back into a pattern of believing that you can do what, you, what needs to be done to be right with God. Maybe you're disconcerned with being right with God. That's a dangerous place to be. But faith obeys God. So he moves from Cain and Abel, and he goes on to Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken away we would say raptured or removed before he died, so that he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is a major part of the book of Hebrews as well, that If you quit on your faith, you quit on the reward that you would be given for your faith. If, if you quit and you go back to doing things the way everybody else did, or you go, these people went back to Judaism. If you go back to approaching God the same way that you did before according to the standards of our culture, if you quit on God, you quit on your reward. Um, and that's just a message that is shared over and over again through this book that we are saved by grace and we live this life right now through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit by grace. But if we choose to not walk in step with the Spirit and quit on our faith, we forfeit eternal reward. It's not that you won't be saved, but it is that uh, the Scriptures talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And a lot of people will describe the marriage supper of the Lamb as it's a banquet where believers show up and it's like an awards banquet. And you get an award for doing this and you get an award for doing that and you get one for doing that. But there will be a lot of people there who received no reward because they lived a life that was faithless, right? And that's the warning that the book of Hebrews is also giving, is that if you were to live a life of faithlessness, when Christ returns on the day of his return, you'll be at the banquet, but there'll be nothing there for you to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You forfeit the reward if you quit on a faith, But the other thing we see here is that faith delights God's heart. It pleases his heart. So my motivation is not necessarily the reward, though the scriptures make it very clear that we should do what we do because we're storing up eternal rewards, not temporal ones. But the other part of it, and the more important part of it, is I do what I do because it delights my father's heart. Because I know that he has sacrificed for me and he has given his own son for me, I long to live a life that delights his heart. Because he is good to me, I long to live a life that is pleasing to him. And so faith delights God's heart. He goes on to Noah. By faith, Noah 
after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. So Noah probably lived in a place that didn't look too different from Nevada, and God says, build a boat. And he spends decades on it. And he probably looked like a fool to everybody around him. But he believed what God said was coming. He believed that judgment was on its way. And in order to save his family from the judgment that was on the way, he acted on his faith and did what was necessary to be saved. And so we see that faith acts based upon who God is. Faith looks at who God is, and yes, he is love, and yes, he is merciful, and yes, he longs to bless us with his grace, but he is also, in equal balance, the judge of everyone, and should we find ourselves not saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, we will experience condemnation, and so based upon who he is, I'm going to act. The other thing we see is that faith condemns the world, and it marks us out as God's people. Um, I enjoy playing golf. And a couple Mondays ago, I, I played a round of golf, and I just went out by myself. It was a Monday. And um, the, played the first handful of holes by myself, and then the course slowed down, and I ended up grouping up with the guys that were in front of me. Now, I had heard these guys warming up on the range, and let's just say it sounded like maybe they were in the Navy at one point. Um, and so I get paired up with them, and... I can hang with a man's man. That's no problem. I, I don't, you don't need to be something special for me, and I wasn't there to judge them. But a little time goes by, and they say, hey, you want to have a beer? And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm going into work tonight. And then what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor at Hilltop Community Church, and I'm going to get some tri-tip and some sausage and get the barbecue going, and then we're going to have a Bible study and uh, share, share life together over a meal and then through God's word and conversation. And uh, you could see they were kind of like, okay. That's not really us. And I was like, you know, we moved on. We talked about golf and life and what they do. And so the, the guy gets up there, and he, and, he, and he hits a bad shot. And he says, fudge. <laughs> and it was hilarious because he doesn't say fudge. <laughs> but just by following Jesus Christ, you're going to make the world uncomfortable. You're going to. And I guarantee when he said fudge, he went, why don't I do that? <laughs> Got the first two letters right, but after that. <laughs> if you follow Jesus Christ, you're going to make the world uncomfortable. Be okay with it. I mean, don't be nasty. We're not here to make people wish they weren't around us. But if you're following Jesus Christ and your life is, has evidence of it, you're going to make the world around you uncomfortable. But let me tell you something. What does discomfort do for us? Think about it. When was the last time you had discomfort? What did it tell you? Something is wrong. Something's wrong. And I should probably do something about what's wrong. 
And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're not making your coworkers just a little bit uncomfortable based upon the way that you behave and the way that you speak and the way that you talk about your wife and the way that you parent your kids and the conversations about what you did over the weekend, if you're not making your coworkers at least just a little bit uncomfortable, that's probably not what you should be doing. It condemns the world and it marks you out as one of God's people. He goes on to Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, his son and grandson, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has, its, has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. The cities of the time that Abraham lived in, he would have lived in Ur. And if you were to go back to one of those ancient cities... It would be clear to you that the powerful ruled by force and that if you weren't powerful, it was going to be uncomfortable. Not in a good way. The, the city would have had some sort of um, religious structure within it that paid attention to the stars and the heavens. It would have had... Uh, those, those structures would have been built by slaves. Um... When God looks down at the earth before the flood, and right before that he describes a man named Lamech who's, who's oppressing particularly women. And God looks at, at the world at that point in time and, and essentially he is heartbroken at his own creation because it's always thinking about evil all the time. And we know from the book of Genesis that the reset didn't do a whole lot. Other than tell people that there would be a way out from being judged. And so he leaves that city. He leaves the city of, of worshiping false gods and the, and the perverse sexual practices that would have followed that. He leaves the city that subjugates the weak. He leaves the city that puts women at a disadvantage. He leaves the city that is all about ruling over people and having power. And he's looking forward to a city in which people will live according to God's standards, not looking to disadvantage somebody, but looking to bless the disadvantaged the city whose architect and builder is God. Eventually, with this would be Jerusalem, the city of peace. But it's not just an earthly city that he's looking forward to. He's looking forward to the heavenly Jerusalem that we studied in Revelation chapter 21, where God brings down this city that is without sin. Uh, Satan is cast out from it. There is no, there is no evil one uh, fooling the people. The sin that is within us as human beings is removed as we've had a new flesh and a new, new way of life given to us in its fullness. The fullness of our faith is realized. And so uh, the thing to see here is that God, he rewards faith. Faith is what God rewards. And so we have faith seeing God as good. Because God is good, I can trust him. Because I trust him, I'm going to obey him. As I obey him, I'm going to receive blessing, but I'm also going to stand out in this world, and because of that, I'm probably going to receive some persecution. 
and I'm going to do what I do because ultimately I want the reward that God has for me, not the reward that I can gain on this earth. That's what he's describing here. Not only that, I want to go a step further than this. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age since she was considered, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. Abraham and Sarah are old, and they're not supposed to have children. They're past the age of having children. God makes something miraculous happen. Faith can do that. Faith can make life that we perceive to be unattainable take place. But the other thing that faith is, is faith is what God reproduces. Faith is what God longs for us to be a part of reproducing. Remember our story? Christ dies on the cross to cover our sins. This is the gospel. He rises again three days later. He appears to hundreds of eyewitnesses over the course of 40 days. And then he commissions his disciples to be his witnesses and to make more disciples that follow him. The reason the church is here is for the reproduction of the faith. That the faith would move from generation to generation to generation to generate just as it has. And one of the things that we're seeing within the church is that the, the next generation, Gen Z, is becoming more and more or further and further away from the faith. This should really make you and I go, whoa, what do we need to change? Do church services not need to not be what they were? Do we need to add a ministry? Do we need to add a, uh, somebody that knows how to reach this generation? Do I need to do some training so that I can understand this generation? What am I doing to be a part of the reproduction of faith into the next generation so that it can move to the next generation until Christ returns? If you don't care about the, the next generation receiving the faith, your heart does not completely match God's. Because that's why we're here. That is the work that he has left us to do, to, to share the faith, to move the gospel forward into the generations that are within our two valleys and then across the, across, the, across the world into the Czech Republic. Wherever it is that God opens a door for us, we want to see the gospel move to the next generation. And that means that I am completely willing to let go of superficial things that may have been important to church in the 1970s or 80s or 90s or 2000s or 2010s. I'm completely willing to let go of those things because they don't matter. They're superficial. They, they really aren't what the faith is about. The faith is about God's word reaching God's people so they can respond in faith and then share it with other people. And so those superficial things of the past, they don't matter. We need to be ready to adjust and change. Not, the, not God's word. We never adjust or change God's word. But we, we offer it to our current environment in a way that allows them to hear it. And if you're unwilling to do that, I think you'll be uncomfortable going to church here. Faith is what God reproduces. He goes on and he says, These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that, that were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. What a great statement. If you view yourself as a foreigner and a temporary resident on this earth, you're saying out loud, this is not my home. 
I can't wait to get there. That said, God's left me with work to do here. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And so we see here that faith desires a greater reward. Have you felt discontented in this life? Maybe, how about this morning? Have you felt discontented this morning? That's because you're supposed to. You're not supposed to look at this world and go, it has everything that I need. I can be full with what this world has to offer me. Now, there are beautiful things here and beautiful relationships and interactions and God's creation, but it's not everything that it's supposed to be. And if you, if you are fully satisfied by what you can receive in this life, you've been duped. You've been fooled. Because there's something greater that awaits us, and so faith desires a greater reward. I want to talk about this phrase that says here at the end, God is not ashamed to be called their God. I'm not going to try and pronounce that Greek word. It's used 11 times in nine verses in the New Testament, and it's used by Jesus and the Holy Spirit to communicate the kind of relationship that God seeks with us. Let me show you a couple places God is not ashamed. Let me show you a couple places this word is used. This is Jesus speaking in Mark chapter 8, calling the crowd with his disciples Along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in glory, in the glory of his Father, with the angels. So he's saying, if you and I look at the one who bore our sin and shame and are unwilling to speak his name because we're ashamed of him, when he returns, he will be ashamed of us. Ponder that. I think a lot of people think Jesus comes back and it's all roses. And for the most part it is. But there will also be an accounting of our life. And in that accounting of our life, many of us will go, oh no. What was I doing? Living for possessions, living for the next experience, taking advantage of people so that I could rise up within the corporate ladder or whatever it is that we might have been doing. I mean, we'll be ashamed. Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul says, not me. I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel. Because I know when Christ went to the cross and he took my sin and he took my shame and he hung there naked, doing, uh, taking the, the penalty that I deserved, there's no way I could look at him and be ashamed of him. Look at his love. Look at his mercy. Look at his self-sacrifice. Look what he's done for me. How could I picture Christ on the cross and be ashamed of him? How could I picture Christ in the grave and then raise three days later and be ashamed of him? 
How can I look at what he's done for me and how he's transformed me and how he's made me a new creation and everything that he's done for me? How can I look at Jesus and be ashamed of him? How can I do it? I won't be ashamed of the gospel. He then says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 through 12, he says, So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in the suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. He says, faith is unflinching for Jesus because he has proven himself worthy and he is my highest aim. He is my highest aim and he's going to bring about a day that is hard for me to fathom and on that day, I want to be proud to be in his presence, not ashamed of the life that I lived because I was in fear of living for him. I, I want to I approach that day with boldness as now I approach the Son of God or I approach God the Father through what the Son has done for me. I approach the throne of boldness now. I approach that day with boldness because he is my highest aim. Not only that, look at what he's done. He has made evident through Jesus Christ, our Savior, the abolishment of death that we will no longer, our bodies will die, but we won't experience the eternal death that is due to those who are still in their sin. And he has brought us life and immortality through the gospel. We, ha- we experience eternal life now through what God has done for us. And so faith is unflinching for Jesus because he's proven himself worthy and he is our highest aim. Would you consider yourself unflinching for Jesus? Or what makes you flinch? Why do you flinch? Because you're afraid something's going to What is it within our culture or within your family or within your workplace that makes you flinch? You know Jesus is worthy. Do you believe he truly is your highest aim? Do you have something better to live for? Is there someone more worthy? And so that's what he wants us to remember. I think it's worth considering. What makes you flinch? Oh, I wouldn't want to put that on social media. My coworkers would view me differently. Like, honestly, something that small. But why? Why not be different on social media? Why not be different in your workplace? Why not be different? Why not stand up and, and step out for Jesus Christ? Because you have a better aim for your life. Because there's someone more worthy. Heavenly Father, create in us a strong desire to live a life that pleases you. 
we recognize that we delight you not with our self-effort, but by trusting you. And ultimately, God, if we're going to be bold for you, it'll be because, it will be because we trust you. If we're going to speak for you, it's going to be because we, we, we trust you. If we're going to rearrange our lives and use our time and our money and our relationships in a way that honors you, it's going to be because we trust you. I hope that no one here leaves with a burden of trying harder. But they would see who you are and what you've done for them. That we would look upon your son Jesus on the cross and say, I would never be ashamed of him. The one who bore my sin and shame, I will never be ashamed of him. I will be unflinching for him. The one who rose victorious over the grave to give me life, I will never be ashamed of him. And instead, by faith, I want to live a life that's pleasing to him, that honors him, that reproduces faith in others. God, I, I want to be somebody that upon the day of your return, hears those words, well done, good and faithful servant, and receives a reward for living a life of faith. I'm going to give it right back to you. But God, I don't want to stand there and look back at my life and wonder why I spent it on what I did when I could have been living for your kingdom. Father, I also pray for those this morning who are listening and, and they're not a part of your kingdom yet, that today would be the day that they receive the blessing and the gift that you have given them through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. That they would turn away from their own ways, trying to live a life like Cain, coming to you on their terms, but instead, like Abel, say, God, we thank you for the blood sacrifice that you've given, covering my sin, making me a new creation through your resurrection, washing me white as snow, and giving me life that I could never have on my own. I pray that someone here this morning is on, on the edge of their seat longing to say thank you and follow you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.